Welcome to the sermon podcast of Faith Lutheran Church in Oregon, Wisconsin, proclaiming the historic faith of Christ crucified and the promises of God that our faith clings to. For more information, visit us online at faithlutheranoregon.com. Philippians chapter 2, you just heard and you just sang. Uh, is the sedes doctrina, that is the seat or the source of doctrine, for the humiliation of Christ. But in 21st century America, we don't think we need doctrine. You know, it's a word we, we don't like. We, we don't want doctrine. We want things that are practical, deeds, not creeds. But every church has doctrine. If they teach anything at all, they have doctrine. Uh, because doctrine simply means teaching. The question is whether or not what that church teaches is doctrine from the Bible, from Scripture alone, or from human reason. The humiliation of Christ, which all of the lessons on Palm Sunday revolve around, is perhaps the most practical of all doctrines. It's what Paul says here, that Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, did not consider robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant and coming in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Now notice that the humiliation comes after Christ is made man. That Christ as man, humbles himself under the law and dies. The humiliation is not that God changes into man. If that were the case, then Jesus, if that were the case, then Jesus would be less than God and would cease to be God. Paul teaches instead that the humiliation means that, that Christ did not always or fully make use of the divine powers or attributes that were communicated to his human nature. We cannot separate the two natures of Christ, divine and human. Jesus always has been true God, and Jesus always still is since his incarnation truly man. So in the humiliation, Jesus suffers more than any man. As Paul says, it's that Jesus takes the form of a bondservant, not the form of a king, but the form of a a servant. He's born in a barn from an unwedded mother. Throughout his life, he had no place to lay his head. He comes into Jerusalem not on, on a white war horse, but on a donkey. And then he suffers the death of a criminal. We confess all this in the words of the Apostles' Creed, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. That's why you'll notice that whenever we read those lines of the Creed in in our hymnal or service folder, those lines are indented to show that they are part of Christ's humiliation. Now, many churches today, however, while they affirm that Christ has two natures, divine and human, 
they deny that those two natures had any communion with each other. But the two were divided and, and compartmentalized so that you could point to the, to, the, to the divine nature of Jesus acting in one instance and the human nature of Jesus acting in another instance. Uh, you could have the divine nature present without the human nature. And the argument was, well, the finite cannot contain the infinite. The human cannot contain the divine. Well, that makes logical sense, but that's not what Scripture says. And this actually has huge implications. If the finite cannot contain the infinite, then Jesus' words, instituting the Lord's Supper, can't be true. Jesus can't be physically present, as he says, in his body and blood. So maybe Jesus simply meant that he was spiritually present, that his divine nature would be present, but, but not his human nature. But if you take away the human nature of Christ, all you are left with is the fiery deity who is angry with you for your sin. This is where you get fire and brimstone, preachers. And this has everything to do with the passion and the suffering of Christ that we will read in a moment. Those who separate Christ's two natures, who make his humiliation into Jesus becoming human, when Christ suffers, they say, well, that's not God's suffering, but that's the man, Jesus, suffering. When, when you see him dying on the tree, that's not God dying, but the man, Jesus, dying. Well, if God doesn't suffer, then God has no idea how you feel. God cannot sympathize with you. And, and what's more, if God doesn't die for your sins, then how do you know if your sin has been paid in full? The humiliation of Christ is a doctrine of immense comfort. And this is why the passion history, as we read this, uh, remember that this is Christ's suffering in his humiliation both as true God and as true man. Now I'll close with this. A, a story has been told of a monarch from the late 1600s, Peter the Great. Uh, Peter the Great laid aside his royal garments as king uh, and said he dressed in the clothes uh, of a working man and he went to a foreign country the place of his enemies. And he hired himself out as a carpenter in order to learn the art of shipbuilding. But he was still king the entire time. But he did all of this for the sake of his own people that he might supply in the way of knowledge what they lacked. So on a far grander scale, Jesus, the king of heaven, vacated his throne for a season, laid aside his lustrous garments, he didn't use his kingly divine powers, but clothed himself in the humble garments of a bondservant and became a carpenter. And he did this for the sake of his people so that he might rebuild our broken lives. Christ comes under the law to suffer and die for our sins. For that reason, the doctrine of humiliation of Christ means everything in the world. In Jesus' name, amen.